God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Um, there's no sermon outline today, so no Lutheran guilt today. Life is good. Um, I just I wanted to be able to, um, to share with you, I, um, this is such an unusual uh, arrangement of, of the day, because in 2017, when uh, Christmas Eve fell on Sunday, we did a 10 o'clock service, because I remember that Jerry was not available to play, so we had... Our, our praise team led us, and we sang some carols and so forth. And so we did a 10 o'clock service, and then we did 5 and 7 and 11. So that was a full day. Today's fuller. Um, because we have added a children's service, you know. So after this service, then we begin our celebrations of Christmas. So at 11, one specially designed for littles, you know, families with littles. And then 5 and 7, very traditional, pageantry and candlelight. And then 11 p.m. Uh, with... Uh, communion. Um, and then, of course, and Aaron's going to preach tomorrow on the feast day of Christmas at 10 a.m. tomorrow. So it's a different day. So I, I, would, I would cover your prayers for energy that we just kind of keep going through the day because it's even different than Easter because, you know, Easter starts early, but by about one o'clock I can collapse at home. And, uh, and so it's a little bit different today, but I'm very excited for what we get to share with you because this unique opportunity is this last kind of moment of Advent and then this first moment as we step into Christmas. Um, when we, um, it's interesting, whenever I um, do funerals, and we've had a lot recently, and those of you that know Dick and Barb Scott, Aaron's going to pray for them. Their daughter Kim had a kind of a, a massive incident, a brain bleed. Um, it's very dire. And uh, so if you know Dick and Barb in that situation, you want to hold that family up in prayer. Um, We've had any number of losses, people who have gone through that. And some of them are people who have been deeply, deeply long-time members. And, and those are actually, this, I don't want this to sound wrong, but kind of uh, easier. Does that make sense? The emotion is deep because you, the loss is great because of a personal connection. But boy, you have great confidence in God's promises to them and their bold confession of faith, you know, and so forth. And then you have other ones that are more tenuous, connected. And so you still want to serve the family and you still want to do that. And everybody comes to that event, a funeral, with, um, with different ideas in their mind of what needs to happen and who should speak and what do we say and what music do we play and how do we do that. And my kind of rule of thumb is I, 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 tell, I don't argue with people. I mean, unless it's really out of bounds, you know. Like, I don't know, if you wanted to play Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, you know, as your main music for that service, you know, I would probably say, <laughs> let's adjust that a little bit. But um, I think people should have the opportunity to share. I think people should be able, it's a family. It's a very intimate, very personal family moment. And, and yet my one rule is, I have two rules. One is no open mics. You know, no just kind of open mics. You do that at a reception if you want. Because I can't control it, and I am a control freak a little bit. But the second thing is I, I get to talk last. I get to speak last. Because I want to make sure that we say really important things, right? We're, we're in, but it, the interesting thing to me is this. So getting that last word is really, really valuable and important. And here in this season, I just want you to, I'm kind of the thought that struck me as we planned a whole bunch of things. I've got like three messages, sermons in my head right now. So if I get confused, you'll have to forgive me. 
And we're trying to do that, and, and Ryan's leading the 11, and Aaron will preach tomorrow morning and so forth, and we've got some help at 11. But um, I'm, I'm thinking of this as there's a last word and a first word and then another last word. So it's kind of the last word of Advent. What have we been trying to say in preparing for Christ? There's a first word of Christmas, and then there's a last word of Christmas as well. And, and when I say that, I'm, I'm using that just um, in, in this sense. I love having that last word because you can say really, you have to say very important things about God becoming a human being, about God entering our world. Christianity is the only faith system that the world has ever seen where God bends so low. Instead of asking us to get our act together to ascend to God, God says, I'm going to come to rescue you. I will take on full humanity that I might take on the sin, fulfill the law, give you love, show you grace. It's the only system in the, that the world has ever seen that has God bending so low. You have to say those important things. People need to hear those critical things. But you know, the first word is important too. I was talking about this with Jerry, and Jerry, I decided not to do this. I was kind of asking around, like my wife and Jerry, does anyone have a pitch pipe? Do you know what I mean by those? A pitch pipe. I should have called you, Liz. I bet you have one. So you don't. Anyway, the Bollinger's somewhere amongst that family must have three or four. So anyway, I, but, but I, have heard, I have seen this in person where it's a great big choir, right? Huge choir, very professional, you know, very high level, very kind of snooty, McSnoot, snoot kind of thing. And they're standing there and someone gives the pitch pipe and did it wrong. It's the wrong one. The wrong starting note. And no one knows quite what to do. Because half of them know it and half of them don't. And they're not sure. And they're following the director. And what do we do? And they're singing a cappella. And they got to have the right note to begin. Now, thankfully, in that scene that I saw, the person was just horribly embarrassed. Said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they gave the right note. And then it was beautifully done. But the first note had to be right. Because if the first note is not right... The rest of the song is just a hot mess. It is a cacophony of sound instead of a harmony of sound. And our real desire, our, I want you to know this, our, our staff and our, our elders, our prayers for this time, because so many things are coming and we're praying for people to come, whether it started at a living nativity where someone may have just driven into our parking lot and heard the Christmas story, or whether people will come to the altar for communion, whether people will watch the, 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 our characters gather tonight, they'll listen to our choir, hear the bells. We are longing for people to hear those key first words and final words of Christmas. And here's what I want to posit for you. <clears throat> and you know, this is interesting. In our training in seminary, we have different disciplines. One we call... Um, exegetical, which means interpreting the scriptures. Another one is called systematics, which is doctrine, uh, the teachings of the scriptures. And then the other one is homiletics, which is preaching. And in preaching, we have a little bit more freedom. Because I'm going to tell you here, this is, so, this is my telling you that in this moment, in this kind of unique moment at the beginning, the last moment of Advent, but we stand right on the edge of Christmas, I believe this first word is comfort. And you heard it in the Old Testament reading, and you have it in your printed there for you. If you want to have that in front of you, the, I'm only, I'm going to focus in primarily on just two verses. 
Because I think the key word here, the first word, Isaiah and Gabriel and Mary, they get, the, they get this first word of Christmas, which is comfort. And in the Hebrew, it's quite interesting. It's repeated. And in Hebrew especially, when you see this comfort, comfort, it's, like, it's almost said like this. If you think about it dramatically, if we're going to read it, if there was a herald, it would be comfort, pause. Did you hear me? Comfort my people, exclamation point. If you didn't hear me the first time, comfort my people. This is the first word of Christmas. The reason I share that with you is as I observe the events of the world, and it's lovely. Christmas is so great. We gather family. Boy, last week was spring. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, it was a beautiful time, and presents gather under the tree, and watching my grandson and children, having children at Christmas, just a delightful time. And yet, in the work that we do here, there's a lot of people hurting. There's a lot of hurt. And this first word of comfort is so critical. That God wants us to speak comfort into the hearts of people. That is the beginning of this celebration. Our celebration is that God is longing to speak into the hearts of people. And so my, the question I would pose is, anybody in need of comfort in the room? I think of Mary. The angel's words to her had to ring in her hair, in her. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You who are highly favored. You whom God has filled with grace. A word of comfort because her world is going to be turned upside down, isn't it? The questions that she's going to have to face, the conversation she's going to have to have with her fiancé, thank God. Thank God that God intervened in there and comforted him. But that first conversation must have been very difficult. And to her family and to the questions that would arise in the community. And as she continues to see that child grow within her, how the gossip and how the words and how her character and reputation would be impugned and questioned. She needed a lot of comfort, didn't she? And there are plenty of women today who face those challenging things too. Unexpected, hurtful, abandoned, different than Mary's, but very similar in some ways, who are longing for a word of comfort. How does this passage, these words from Isaiah, speak comfort to her? Or the parent or the spouse, isn't it odd or interesting or heartbreaking that so many people have experienced great loss in, these, in this season. Where in this season it is a reminder of that tremendous loss and the grief cycles again. And it becomes a mountain that's impossible to surmount or a hole that they cannot climb out of. Desperately do they need words of comfort. The first word of Christmas needs to be a word of comfort. Or to the person who's going through great pain, chemotherapy, they're going through recovery, surgery, they're struggling with aging, arthritis, can't do the things they wanted to do, can't see the way they want to see, they're struggling with pain, their life is changing, and they long for a word of comfort. Or the person who is lonely, longing for love, feeling isolated, Uncertain how they can ever be connected fully. Comfort. 
to the person who has experienced conflict, unresolved, a conflict which continues to tear at the fabric of relationships which they have no idea how to restore, a word of comfort. Or to the person living with great anxiety or fear, they watch the news, they listen to the reports, and they are uncertain. We have a whole generation now, almost a majority, are deciding it's not good to bring children into this world because of fear and anxiety and uncertainty and hope is lost, a word of comfort. And so I want you to hear these things. Let me read the verses again, these first words of Christmas. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It's a troubling time, if we're honest, because sometimes people are longing to simply be comfortable, to be affirmed in whatever decision or choice or others who want to be culture warriors and point fingers and wage battle against one another. And instead, God gives in these last words of Advent and the first words of Christmas a word of comfort spoken 700 years before the birth of our Savior. Comfort my people. And then spoken to the teenage mother of our Savior. These four things speak tenderly. You know, this is where it's fun to look in the original language um, because speak tenderly is an interesting translation. It literally says, speak into the heart of Jerusalem. Speak to the heart, the heart that is broken, the heart that longs for healing, the heart that is wrestling and grappling with conflict and hurt. These are words which God says to speak tenderly. Tender words are thoughtful words. Words that have thought before they're spoken. Words that sometimes have patience and do not speak the first thing that they think of. That aren't trying to figure out what to say to the person before they're even done speaking. Speaking tenderly is words that understand and that sympathize. Words that fill our heart instead of emptying it or breaking it. Those words we heard from Gabriel to Mary, you have found favor with God. God has filled you with his grace. Speak tenderly. Gabriel certainly could have said to Mary, you know you don't deserve this. You know the human race doesn't deserve this. I sure hope that you manage this well. You have found favor with God. To every hurting heart, you have found favor with God. And he pours out his grace. The second word in Isaiah is, speak to her, that her hard service has been completed. Comfort also comes in understanding how hard the journey is. That acknowledges that. Like, for instance, I go through this uh, kind of this mouth oral surgery. And every time I talk, this is really interesting. When I'm talking to a dude, it's kind of like, yeah, it, stuck, it was horrible. And it was a week. And I couldn't get over the pain. And, and you know, and I was, the anesthetic was bad and this and that. And, man, it took a whole week. I thought it was only going to be three or four days. And I couldn't function and blah, blah, blah. A lady, I t a woman asked me, and I just go, I bow down to you. 
because you know pain. I don't know pain. Right? If you've had a baby, you know pain. If you don't, I'm, I'm just telling you, it's different. Just different. And so, and sometimes it almost seems when I hear conversations about, especially as you get older, you hear older people kind of comparing illnesses. Um, not comparing hard service. This word of comfort is not a kind of a, kind of a comparing. Well, yeah, I went through this. Yeah, but you should have seen what I went through. And then I had to do, oh, yeah, but then I did this. Oh, and then I did this. It's almost like a contest, right? Until finally somebody says, fine, you win. Not comparing hard service but absolutely knowing that there is not a human heart, there is no human heart, no other, no other human who you have seen who, does, who has not seen hard service. People hurt and people hide. Her hard service has been completed. That word is used beautifully, especially in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, has been finished. God is the one who completes your hard service has been paid for. It's been complete. And the third thing is, then he goes on and he says that her sin has been paid for. Another way to render that is that your debts have been paid. Did you know that credit card debt in America is the highest it has ever been? Ever. It is now over $1 trillion of credit card debt. It has just skyrocketed. Somewhere we learned that we were supposed to have a certain level of standard of living, and then inflation hit and income went down, and so we decided to borrow to keep that standard of living going that way. Somehow, in America, that was the message. There's a lot of debt out there, and it weighs, and it is burdensome. And January can be the hardest of all months. Taxes are due, and debts are come, come, come due. January is a season of darkness and cold, but in this word of comfort, our balance has been wiped clean of the debts that we are aware of and of the debts with God we have no idea. God has wiped them all clean. There is nothing that can come and collect from us or demand payment or retribution. And then the fourth promise of comfort. She has received double for all her sins. Now, I, I never understood this quite well. I should have studied it better. I don't remember. Probably learned it. I probably had a prof teach it to me, and I forgot. But I always thought when I read that, because you've heard this passage many times, haven't you? Right? Comfort my people. Her sin has been paid for, and she has received double for all her sins. Almost like she has gone through twice the hardship. That's not what it means. You have received double from the Lord... For her sins. In other words, God has seen you in your hurt and He has given you grace upon grace. It's actually a word of great promise. It's generosity. It goes all the way back to Eden with Adam and Eve. You know, they had one thing to get right and God still did not abandon them. Instead of justice on Adam and Eve, they received a promise of grace. And so does Noah, and so does Abraham, and so does. Moses, and down the line from David and Deborah and, and Hannah and all the way through to John the Baptist and the coming of our Savior, they have received grace upon grace upon grace. What a generous God we have to get grace instead of justice. Not to get us back to even. Because in our sins there was a debt which was paid. But to go far beyond that and to fill us to overflowing undeserved, but joyfully given and gratefully received. 
And so I pray that those words to everyone seeking comfort, because in my mind it first goes to Mary, be comforted. Speak tenderly. Hard service. Cleared debts. And the generosity of God. Now, of course, God's first word of Christmas is Jesus. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. It's far more than mere words. This is the word of Christmas. The Christ, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. For Jesus is God's comfort to all, in any circumstance. For God speaks tenderly to us in Jesus. Aaron has the, on Christmas Day, the Hebrews passage. I'm not, I, hope, I don't think I'll give anything away. It's so great. In the past, God spoke to us this way, through prophets. Now he speaks to us through his son. Has God ever spoken more tenderly to us than in the gift of his own son? And not only is God speaking tenderly to us as we see the infant in the manger, Jesus himself speaks tenderly, welcoming the outcast, inviting the lonely, telling Mary she is the repository of God's grace through the angel Gabriel. Jesus calms the storms of the conflicted, brings light into darkness tenderly, for he alone can speak directly into every broken heart. For his broken heart beats with our own to heal us and restore us. And Jesus knows hard service. The kind of service we could never accomplish. One of my favorite lines in the early church is when they're trying to decide, can we bring these Gentiles into this church, these non-Jewish people? How much of the law do we need them to obey in order for them to be good followers of the Messiah? And Peter stands up and he says, hey, wait a minute, we're all Jewish. We couldn't do it. Huh? Why would we ask them to do it? For Christ has accomplished it at all. Jesus took those hard steps to the cross and into the very depths of hell to perform hard service that none of us could. And it has been completed, finished, so that we can know the certainty of his victory as our own. And Jesus paid those debts. He forgave every debt. And we owe nothing. Only the very wealth of heaven. No, that's not enough. <clears throat> Only the very gift of the Son of the Most High the most priceless treasure that none could weigh or measure. It was that gift which paid for sin upon sin and upon sin with grace upon grace now and forever. No one can anymore accuse you or seek collection and our praises and our lives rise before him in grateful adoration. Today is the start. The first word of Christmas, praise and thanksgiving. And then finally, and Jesus gives. Double, double for all her hard labor? Double? Far more than double. Double is far too little to ascribe to the work of our Savior. God's grace has no bottom, no limit. How high, Paul writes to the Ephesians, how wide and how deep and how um, uh, long is the love of God in Christ. So much more than double is our generous God. The greatest of all gifts which rests now in the arms of his mother, guarded not simply by a watchful Joseph, but by the very hosts of heaven. Such generosity the world has only seen one time, and yet it is a generosity that we receive again and again and again. I pray 
that you're comforted with tender words, with Christ's hard service, our debts forgiving, with overwhelming generosity. And then as the prophet goes on, we heard later in the, in the, in the text, he says this, You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. The first and the last word of Christmas. Truly, God is with us. Amen.